you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. I can remember when journalism was invaded by news you can use and call-out boxes in the midst of articles. Suddenly, sober news magazines like Newsweek and Time had these little mini-articles that highlighted things like five things you need to know about global warming or had bulleted lists such as how to save for retirement after 40, and so on. Complex news reporting and analysis was replaced by summaries, overviews, highlights. Time and Newsweek weren't the only culprits, of course, and now we see this trend everywhere, with internet news sources especially specializing in fast news, with things like listicles, which are exactly what they sound like, a series of bullet points in a list posing as news. We want shortcuts to success. We want speedy answers for hard problems. How to get fully fit in just 11 minutes of exercise a day. Or, or four reasons civil discourse is failing, or the history of the conflict in Syria in three minutes. Well, it turns out this desire for something fast about something that's complicated, this isn't such a new phenomenon. There's a great story in Jewish tradition about a non-Jew in the first century who was wanting to convert. First, he went to the great Rabbi Shammai, known for his strictness, and demanded, teach me the whole of the Torah entirely and quickly while you stand on one leg. Shammai gave him a swift beating and kicked him out. He found that request offensive. So this non-Jew then went to the more lenient Rabbi Hillel and made the same demand, conditioning his conversion on being taught the Torah quickly while the venerated rabbi stood on one foot. Hillel took the challenge. What is hateful to you, do not do to others. All the rest is commentary. What is hateful to you, do not do to others. All the rest is commentary. And then he added, go and learn. Go and learn. A rabbi who spent his whole life studying and teaching Torah summarizes the five books of Moses into one sentence. He could work for BuzzFeed today. Now, Jesus may or may not have known this story, but he follows in Hillel's tradition when the scribe asks him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus quotes from both Deuteronomy and Leviticus to provide this pithy answer to which one of the 613 commandments given by God to Israel is the first, the most important. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus pairs down not 10, but 613 commandments to two. Love God, love neighbor. The scribe asked for one commandment, the first, the most important, but Jesus makes clear that there are two parts in the command to love, God and neighbor. They cannot be separated. You can't truly love God if you don't show love to your neighbor who is created in God's image. And by loving your neighbor, you're both following God's commandment and finding a pathway to God. Jesus, like Hillel, does not make this up but is reaching deep into the tradition of Torah. He quotes the Shema, which Jews are to recite twice daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And they say it twice a day as a way to remember that there is one God, one greater than us, one to which we give our allegiance, and it's not a political leader, and it's not ourselves. It's God. And then Jesus goes to Leviticus, that wonderful book that so many of us fear. It's a book of instruction on holy living for Israel, given during the Exodus. Leviticus teaches people how to do everything, every little thing, from what clothes to wear, what food to eat, how to treat animals, how to care for the poor, because God cares about every detail of our lives. In that book, the people are instructed, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In today's passage, Jesus says there is no greater commandment than these. In the Gospel of Matthew, after teaching this love of God and neighbor, Jesus says on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, like Hillel, Jesus is saying here is the summary of the law, it's love. But everything else in our scripture points to that law. So go, learn it, study it, figure it out, how it all points to loving God and loving neighbor. So you see, the commentary matters. Learning the law and the prophets, well, that matters. Though the scribe talking to Jesus says, you are right, teacher, to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. But that doesn't mean that offerings and sacrifices don't matter. After all, this command to love is embedded in a book about how to live in all its detail. We are to keep holy patterns in our lives. We are to follow commandments, but we are to learn how doing so increases love of God and love of neighbor, and we are to use those commands to help us love God and love neighbor better. Just as Jesus is delving deep into his Jewish faith to share this great commandment, so is the scribe. He is digging deep into the prophets Hosea and Micah who taught that God desires mercy, not sacrifice, and requires that we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God because all of our worship and offerings are senseless unless we are merciful and just and humble. 
but, but, all that we do as part of our religious observance should be shaping us for those lives of love and mercy and humility. Just as observant Jews still keep daily commands such as eating kosher or saying the Shema or offering blessings throughout the day or keeping Shabbat or Sabbath and so on, we Christians are also meant to live our faith as a way of life, following patterns of praying daily and worshiping in community weekly and studying scripture and giving sacrificially, serving one another in our church community and those in need outside of it. These can be hard practices to institute or to maintain, which is why monasteries create rules of life for their adherents, a concept that has become popular outside of monasteries recently. You've heard me talk much about the Restoration Project, which encourages people to join discipleship groups so that we have support and structure in living out these patterns of Christian living. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, is encouraging people to take up a rule of life that he calls the way of love, seven habits or practices that help us grow in love of God and neighbor. For though the scribe and we might desire fast ways to be faithful or how to be faithful in five minutes a day or a listicle that bullet points how to be loving, the truth is that the commentary, the practices matter. We become generous by giving generously, which we will have the chance to practice next Sunday as we invite you to fill out pledge cards and bring them up to the altar on Consecration Sunday to put giving at the center of your life. We become forgiving by being forgiven each week as we say the confession together and by offering reconciliation with one another, even if only symbolically, as we pass the peace. We become merciful because we practice service as we serve meals to those in need and visit the sick among us, taking them food or providing rides or as we collect socks in Advent for those who are homeless. We become awestruck by God because we come weekly and to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness with music and words and movement that transport us to a holy place as we are fed at the banquet table of Christ. A life of practice matters. By following these disciplines, we allow God to shape our lives so that loving God and loving neighbor become the most important goals and activities of our lives. And this is what a life of practice yields. Last week, after the horrendous attack on the Tree of Life Synagogue in Squirrel Hill, an attack which killed 11 people, the attacker, shot by the police, was taken to the emergency room where he was attended by Jewish doctors and nurses, all of whom, by all reports, treated him with great care and compassion. 
the president of the hospital, a member of Tree of Life Synagogue who lives close enough to that synagogue that he heard the shots fired that day as he was preparing to go to work. He knew most of the victims. The shooter entered the emergency room shouting, I want to kill all Jews. And at least three of those caring for him were Jewish. Later that day, the president of the hospital, the one who was a member of Tree of Life who lived next door to it, he went and he visited the man in his room to check on his pain levels. After he checked on him, the man asked him who he was and he said, I'm Dr. Cohen, the president of this hospital. The FBI agent guarding the man said, I don't think I could have done that. But Dr. Cohen said, we're not here to judge patients. We're here to take care of people who need our help. I thought it was important to at least talk to him and meet him, he said. You can't say we should talk to each other and then I don't go talk to him. So you lead by example and I'm the leader of this hospital. That is a man shaped by his faith. That is a man shaped by his training as a doctor who has practiced over and over and over what it is to love. Dr. Cohen knows that God is in charge, not him, and that the way to love God is to love his neighbor, even the one who has harmed him, even the one who he may not have forgiven yet. May we allow our lives to be shaped in such a way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.